episode is brought to you by wild foods holy heck mercedes have you tried their keto bar so yummy and only two grams of net carbs and they're using real food to create their flavor so no sugar alcohols and all the protein and fat you need to fuel your low carb lifestyle yes i love it yep and with natural ingredients like almond butter and collagen it isn't just keto friendly it also adheres to the primary values of wild foods where they believe real food is fundamental to human health That fits right in with my health goals. And because we know how health conscious our magic mob is, Wild Foods is offering the Magic Hour listeners 12% off your entire order. Yep, 12% off. To sign up, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour. That's magic with a J. Again, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour to get your discount. Greetings, boys and babes. It's the Magic Hour, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. Hey, you guys. As we are all well aware, we have an incredibly powerful movement happening that's asking us all to look more deeply at the separation and polarization we're experiencing amongst our fellow man and specifically people of color. Note that we said movement, not moment, because this time things are different. This time you can feel the shit hitting the fan and the shift happening. But a lot of people feel overwhelmed with questions on how to help, how to explore if there's any racism in themselves, and how to talk to others about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that saying, feel the shit to feel the shift. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, I just want to make sure I'm part of this movement and helping that change come to fruition. But you're right, it's been decades of systemic racism, and it can be an overwhelming thought to try to pinpoint just how to deconstruct that, especially when, believe it or not, there are actually still people opposing that change from happening. Yes, that part is quite maddening. Mm. I know today's guest is going to help us understand our role in this and what really needs to happen. Yeah, um, Bell Hooks in in her book, All About Love, explains that people who are willing to speak out against injustice are not smarter or kinder than their neighbors, but are willing to live the truth of their values. And that's one of the main goals of the show here is to help us and our listeners live out the truth of our values. And if we believe in love as a value, then our work becomes confronting lovelessness in all of its forms and fighting for love. And I can't think of a time in our country's history where living the truth of our values and fighting for love hasn't been considered dangerous and radical. Uh, Brene Brown, I'm sure our listeners are familiar Mm -hmm. with by now, uh, Mm -hmm. she posted about this and she said, I'm starting to wonder if Hook's concepts of a quote unquote love ethic isn't one of the big variables that differentiates control, which is keeping it comfortable and palatable, and real change, reimagining and rebuilding the system. Something to think about there. Yeah. And as our guest today says, this isn't activism, this is humanitarianism. Please help me welcome Makad Brooks to the Magic Hour. Yay! Wow. That that gave me goosebumps. Wow. (laughs) Oh, me too. (laughs) I would love for you to follow me around and just say that. <laughs> <laughs> introduce you, you always, at every restaurant. <laughs> you always introduce me. <laughs> 
So tell us a little bit about your backstory, maybe hurdles that you faced from being a person of color, and now the emotional impact of watching white people wake up to racism. Wow, that's that's a, that's a compound. compound yeah, I'll layers there. <laughs> um, let's, 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 let's address those one at a time, if you would. Yeah. Um, which, which part first? Maybe a little bit of your backstory. Backstory, I'm 39 years old. I'm from Austin, Texas. Um, mm -hmm. I was born and raised there, but I kind of lived all over. I lived in, uh, as a kid, I lived in New York, I lived in California, I lived in Ohio, but mostly in Austin. Um, had a great childhood for, for the most part. Um, tough childhood in some ways, broken family. Mm. But yeah, there was a, there was a lot of um, activism in my, or humanitarianism, humanitarianism in my house. Humanitarianism, Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, just went, I, I was just swimming in the ocean, so. Uh, he, there was a lot, of, a lot of humanitarianism in my house. My dad was a civil rights attorney, my mother was a journalist. Um, wow. So I grew up. I grew up with the numbers. I grew up with the, with the stories. I grew up with the experiences. I, I, I was 12 years old when I saw a man uh, who was decapitated by white supremacists. Wow. Um, uh, his, his own neighbors, and my dad represented their family. Um, we had white supremacists kill our dog when I was 13 um, because my dad was getting Confederate monuments taken down in Texas. Mm -hmm. and trying to fight against having a uh, Confederate Heroes Remembrance Day that Texas was having on Juneteenth. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's how I grew up. Um, went to an elementary school called Robert E. Lee Elementary. Mm -hmm. Wow. Where I was indoctrinated with a song about how compassionate and kind and generous he was. And we, my brothers and I actually got in trouble because we wouldn't sing it. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's almost as if it's like <laughs> obviously we're, we're black people are not a monolithic group, right? It's forty point two million of us in America, and um, but there's this very strange sort of almost waking state that we've all been walking around in. Um, not quite reality, not quite surreality, but it's like when you force a child to go to a school that's named after enslavers and human traffickers and rapists and um, genocidal maniacs and anarchists and people that were responsible for a million American deaths mm -hmm. and you're supposed to sing songs to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know what history is going to call that. Yeah. Yeah, what does that do to a person exactly? Yeah, and, and also, what, what, what does that do to a country? What, is that, like, what does that do to the history books? Like, what does that do That's to like there being schools in Germany named after Hitler, and they're singing about what a wonderful person Hitler is. Absolutely. Like, there's, there's really no difference. Like, I mean, like, if, if you, and it, I mean, we, we, there's examples of it everywhere. If you look at Mount Rushmore, that literally is overlooking the Pine Ridge Reservation for the Sioux people. Those men are the people responsible mm -hmm. for committing genocide on their ancestors. Mm -hmm. And they have to wake up every day and look at a mountain of the men who wanted them dead staring at them. We have a lot of work. <laughs> we, yeah. And it's like, we don't have a lot of work to do. I think we have one thing to do, is dismantle white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Because it's not, it's not we're, that's not what the country, it's, it's against the ideology of the country itself, right? If you, if you look at like the, the Civil War, we, we never, 
we never dictated terms to the losing side. Right? We never said, hey, this is what you got to do because you lost because mm-hmm. you tried to overthrow the government. And, you know, you, you got you to gotta pay something for that. We just gave them their guns and their lands back and said, you know, figure out a way to enslave these people legally. And they did. Uh, through mass car- incarceration, through uh, something called the Black Codes, which, is, which became the Jim Crow laws, which means that, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but in 1865, um, General William Sherman issued Special Field Order Number 15, which was a land reservation approved by Abraham Lincoln for freed slaves, for, for Black Americans. So we had a reservation that went from Charleston, South Carolina, down to mi- the middle of Florida, and 30 miles inland. So, like, this is really valuable land. Um, and it was given, it was, the land was given to till and to work for the, for the Black Americans until they could buy it themselves. And uh, that lasted for two years. And then the Union Army, the, the American Army, came and removed those people forcefully and put them in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And for the next five years, about 200,000 Black Americans died in those concentration camps. And so we cover that history up. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fucking disgusting um, because you're basically, because racism is based in this. It's based in the foundation that the people that you kidnapped from their homes, that you stole from their families, most of them children, by the way, most of them, the average age was 15 years old, the people they stole from Africa. You have to put it into your mind that these are not human beings and they don't matter and they don't count. Mm-hmm. If that's, that's what racism is predicated on, is that my ancestors were not human and they're not worth a second look. They're not worth a second look that they were put in the concentration camps. They're not worth a second look that they were raped at will or kidnapped mm-hmm. at will or murdered at will based on a myth and a lie in, in, in the industrialization of commerce. And so it's almost like if your God is money, Sure, you can become as rich as a king, but you have to you have to destroy other people's humanity. What what if what if there was a country that was doing what the what the colonies were doing today? Right. Let's say let's say for instance China were to go to Colombia and kill all the Colombians, and then go to Australia, kidnap all the Australians, and make them work in Colombia. What, what, what would we what would we call that? What would we say? Yeah. And would we have a problem with right. the Australians after that? Would we blame the Australians for what happened? Mm-hmm. It's it's a very strange thing. Like it's I think what racists are really afraid of is people finding out the real history of America. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. once we find out the real history of America, you you know BLM has a point. It's, it's mm-hmm. basically saying this is common decency for people who've never been afforded it. And um, I think it really scares racists that history. May, may be the, the sunlight that, that causes this ideology to wilt, right? The truth is what will cause this ideology to wilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they've had to change the history. And so I think it's so funny when people say, well, you can't erase history, You're taking down the Confederate monument. Like, no, no, the reason the Confederate monument is up is because history is already erased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, we're, we're trying to bring to light that you can't make moral examples of human traffickers, genociders, and rapists. Yeah. Sorry. Are you uh, all worried that this is just a moment and not a movement? Like things will go back at some point to how it was? Absolutely not. Hmm. 
it's the oppressed people who tell you what country you live in. Mm. It's not the people who are silent. It's not the people who are sitting on Twitter protecting oppression. Mm -hmm. It's the oppressed people who had enough who tell you where you live. It's what happened in the French Revolution. It's what happened in the American Revolution. It's what happens in every revolution throughout history. It's the oppressed people who say, so the oppressed people are holding the map, right? Because they're the ones traveling somewhere. We're the ones trying to get somewhere. So we're holding the map and we're saying, oh, no, no, we're here. Mm -hmm. This is where we are. And it doesn't matter who's with us and who's against us. Um, at a certain point in time, how do I put this? So America has ignored itself into this situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This, this is the place America has ignored itself into. Further ignorance would be dangerous. Yeah. Not, not coming from me. That's not a threat. I'm just saying that's history. Just, just read history. Mm -hmm. If you push people to a point where they're saying enough is enough and right. you can't hear the words enough is enough, how do you think that's going to come out? Like, um, I, um, I'm, a, I'm a history buff, right? And um, you guys, are you guys familiar with, with, with Elie Wiesel? He's a, he's a, a Romanian-born author, author, died in America, but he wrote about the Holocaust. Wrote 56 books about the Holocaust. Wow. Yeah, I read eight, of, eight or nine of them. And um, my favorite author, by, by far, my favorite author. Um, but if I could have dinner with anybody in space time, it would be Ellie Wesley. And I would have a lot of questions for him. And I would ask him, I, I would say, you know, once, once you felt the hate in the ether, and it was palpable, it was so palpable that it hurt your skin, hurt your children's <laughs> ears, and that it was accepted, widely accepted, and enforced uh, uh, through, through policy and through uh, societal interactions that it was okay to hate you and your people. How did you deal with the chronic stress of that? And then when you, when they ghettoized you, and they, and they, locked you into, into areas that were easily closed off and the water control was, the water supply was easily controlled. And the um, population density increased. And we know, sociologically speaking, the pop population density increasing, we know that um, quality of life goes down, crime goes up, uh, health, health goes down. We know all that. Mm -hmm. But they blamed you for it. How did you deal with the chronic stress of that? When they blamed you for everything in society, they scapegoated you and your voice was muted. So when you were yelling and screaming and saying, this is horrible, this has to stop, enough is enough, and nobody heard you because your voice was so muted, how did you deal with the chronic stress of that? When you came out of your house and you, you, know, you were hanging out in the street, boys will be boys, and you, know, you were 12, 13 years old, and there's no place to go in the ghetto, there's no parks, so you're hanging out in the street. And the, and the Romanian people, the German people will walk by and they say, oh, the Jews. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with the disrespect of that? When you came out your house and you saw people you knew laying dead in the street, in a pool of their own blood, having, having been publicly executed in broad daylight, in their own neighborhoods, in front of people. Why? To make an example? 
And you knew, and you knew, and you knew, sorry, and you knew that this person didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. But the Gestapo brings up what they did four years ago, Mm -hmm. or two Mm -hmm. years ago, or six Mm -hmm. months ago, but nothing that day. Yeah. How did you, how did you deal with the chronic stress of of knowing that you could be next? Yeah. And of course there's, this comparison I'm about to make is not at all the same, but just for us and our listeners to, to gain a perspective on a minute level right now, there's a, there's a phrase being thrown around in the midst of COVID and the pandemic with COVID um, called caution fatigue, where because of the, the, the outbreak here, um, everybody's been on, you know, higher alert than they've ever been. And for now a sustained, what, four months or so since we've been in this kind of lockdown era. And that people are seeing just from that small, uh, in comparison to what you're talking about here, um, extra release of cortisol, extra stressors that we're having because of what's going on here and all of the, you know, fear, fearful thoughts that come with it. We're seeing all of us as a culture have to respond to that again, which in a way is divine timing. Cause that's one of the only, one of the only reasons why everyone got so heated about George Floyd is because everyone had been stressed, Mm -hmm. Mm pre-stressed. Yeah. Where we had to look at this. I I would say, I would say that there's, there's a lot of truth to that, but I would also say a small caveat. Um, I think that, I I think what happened was, a lot of a lot of our white family in America got something that I call COVID compassion. Mm. So you were so the universe. So Mother Earth wants us to stop disrespecting. Yeah. But we, but we can't do that until we stop disrespecting each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, racism puts us in a perpetual state of existence in conflict. That means that we can't come together and and cooperate on anything. Black people can't care about COVID. We can't care about the environment. We can't care about anything. If, if, You're just if trying to survive. Like, totally. If someone like Elijah McClain's walking down the street, you can die. Yeah, we can't give a shit about any of that stuff. No, you know? you're like, in the survival mindset right now. It's not about getting deeper at this point. Not even right now. It's all, we're all. Yeah, your whole life, right. We're all, we're you, our, and our entire lives are fight or flight. So what, what, what I'm saying is I, I think that a lot of people who are not con- in this chronic stress, in this fight or flight state, they experienced it for two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they realized that black people experienced this 12 months a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they were like, wait, hold on. We, we can't. Now that I know what this feels like. Right. For a moment. Is, yeah. Cause when you hear it, you can go, oh, you know, when you see it, you go, oh, that's fucking horrible. Oh my God, we got to do something. Uh, and then you're like, what do you want for dinner? Right. But Your when, life when you goes feel, on. Yeah, and you're like, oh, okay, man, George Floyd, I'm like, what are you guys doing this for you? But when you feel it, mm-hmm. when you feel the constant, like when you, you're, you're sitting at home, and you're going, I'm safer inside. If I go outside, I might die for no reason. Um, I don't trust the government. I don't trust what anybody's telling me. That's how we always feel. Right, yeah. 24 hours a day. That's true. Days a week. And yeah, yeah. That, so when you say, is this, a, is this, Going to fizzle out? No, mm. it's not because there's, there's, we don't have another option. Like yeah. We, yeah. We, we are at the end of, you know, America has pushed black people to a cliff and told us to build our dreams there. Mm. So what happens to the dream? 
it either falls off that cliff or it falls on top of the people who, who are pushing you. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we're not going to let it crush us. It's just not going to, we, we can't. Like, you know, crippling oppression doesn't lead to a dinner party. Yeah. And I, that reminds me that I loved the way that you described and broke down privilege. Can you, can you share some of that with our listeners? Sure. Um, privilege is a human experience. So it's, 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 it's your human condition. It's a state of being. You're, mm-hmm. So I was born into male privilege, right? Mm-hmm. However, I don't have racial privilege. So I can, I can look at, so if somebody comes to me and says toxic masculinity, that's a non-starter, right? Now, I think I, I'm not going to mansplain what they mean, <laughs> but I will say this. What I, th- I think a better way to approach that is that, Makad, perhaps you haven't looked at how much power you actually have as a man in this mm. country, and you can help change things for women and have more compassion for their experiences, for their stories, and how they're underappreciated and undervalued in our society. Yeah, creating an invitation instead of blaming. Mm. I can hear that. I can hear that and I can do something about that. And I, 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 I received that invitation in an indirect way uh, through my mother mm-hmm. about five years ago. Mm. And um, so I think, I think when you approach the conversation of privilege to people, most people approach that conversation from an angry standpoint mm-hmm. or a disappointed standpoint or a hurt standpoint. Defensive, they, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think when people approach it, they're oh, the person angry. who's bringing it up, yeah, they're angry right. for sure. Because they don't have time. it. They don't have mm-hmm. privilege. And like, yeah. and like, but the thing is, when you run from, when, when you're defensive and you run from privilege, mm-hmm. the problem is this, you're not, you're not accepting your own human condition, your own human experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and people are making you feel bad about your own human condition and your own And you don't want to be responsible. Well, you're not. You're not. You're not responsible for the position in which you were born. So mm-hmm. here's privilege. Privilege is um, that person's ancestors, some of them good people, some of them bad people, set up a system in which benefited unfairly and disproportionately benefited their descendants. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's the condition in which you were born to. Nobody's, nobody's at blame for that. So once you understand that's what it is, it becomes power, access, mm-hmm. an unmuted voice, um, access to the levers of change, um, something that you are able to use as social currency to change, to alleviate the suffering of others. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm coining this term positive privilege, mm-hmm. which is people understanding their own power. And I think and what that's what I meant by that, responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happens is this, and, and let's, let's break down responsibility because really it's two words. It's your response mm-hmm. ability. ability. Mm-hmm. It's your ability to respond to, any, to anything that's put before you. So if privilege is put before you, the human condition of, of being privileged is put before you, what is your ability to respond to that? Knowing that because of your privilege, because of the system you were born into, it has unfairly disadvantaged other people. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it uh, chips away at their safety and security quality of life, right? Um, and their mental health. So knowing that that's what it is, we can flip the conversation to believe the fact that you have that much power. 
Yeah. So I think I think what it is is like people have been lied to about their own power. Mm-hmm. You've been told that you don't have it, but you mm-hmm. do. You do. Yeah. Like, and so when someone says, "I'm oh, you're privileged," we go, "Well, I'm not privileged. I I had to work hard for all of this." But the reality is that if we could just say oh, actually, it empowers me because if I accept the fact that I am privileged because now I can do something positive with it. Listen, I have economic privilege because I, I worked really hard and I got it. I have male privilege because that's the, that's the, that's the condition, that's the human sure. condition in which mm-hmm. I was born to. I do not have racial privilege. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, that male privilege kind of gets canceled out in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. in some ways it doesn't. That economic privilege gets canceled out in some ways and in some ways it doesn't. But... If you are born into um, uh, our society with, if you're born into our society as a white male, you have a normal life. Quote That's just what yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. You have a normal life. Mm-hmm. You might work. You might have worked really hard. You might be from a poor family. You might have a long and winding road, but your road is not an obstacle course filled with booby traps that can kill you at any point in time or, di- or diminish your well-being, your dignity, your decency, and your mental health. Mm-hmm. The bar is already woman. set relatively mm-hmm. above all el- uh, everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got, of course, you're saying it has its own levels within the white right. men born, right. you know, at this time. And, and, we can, and we can just look at it like this, like, look at life as a road. Right, so that that road may go up and down. It may be very hilly. It may be winding. It may be snaky. It may it may it may go around a lagoon. It may be a hard hard road to drive, but it's just a road. Mm-hmm. There's bombs and grenades and right. and, and cops and yeah. uh, um, and obstacle course and booby traps on mine and on yours because you're women, mm-hmm. right? So it's like. Privilege is really just, it's a state of being. And I think once people start realizing their own personal power, um, it's hard to believe, but white people in this generation, in this generation, have the ability, have the heroic invitation, the heroic invitation of actually being one of the heroes of the civil rights movement and alleviating the suffering of tens of millions of people. Why would you not want to take that? Mm-hmm. Why would you not want to be part of the greatest generation that's yeah. ever lived? Right? Like, why would you not want to take the spiritual invitation, the greatest spiritual invitation ever offered? It's never been on the table. Never been on the table. We have to ask ourselves a question peer to peer, not to our government. Mm-hmm. Do we want systems of criminal oppression to continue to exist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the question that we, that we can all ask ourselves. And the people who have privilege have the most power to stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. But what I think America is, is, has always banked on is to is to make people feel powerless. Yeah, and, and that's can't mm-hmm. yeah. And even like yeah. people being so, able to say, "I stay out of politics," that's a privilege. And and people that can hear this conversation and go on about their day and not think about everything you're saying, mm-hmm. that's a right. privilege that you don't have. Absolutely. It's a normal life. And a it's a privilege life. that that a lot of people don't even. They say like, "Oh, I stay out of politics," and they don't realize. They're in saying that they're saying they're privileged, right? You know. Well, it's also it's, it's also very, and I'll just be I'll just be one hundred percent honest because that's just that's what I do. Um, making a humanitarian effort political mm-hmm. is creating a veil that protects your that protects you from taking a look at your own racial bias. Mm-hmm. 
there's nothing political about treating people with decency. Yeah. There's nothing political about removing the obstructions that. Well, I wonder if, if it does it. Is it a little political? Because I'm wondering if it's different in Germany. They don't have statues of Hitler. They have monuments to the Jews. Here, it's the opposite. And I'm wondering if it's because keeping it that way and keeping people of color poor, it keeps it like it keeps them rich. You know, it keeps it keeps that divide. And that that is so. It is a kind of a political agenda or not? I, no. What I'm saying is they have made human decency a political thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. And people and people who 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 buy into that veil mm-hmm. are using that veil to not have to look at the darkness inside of themselves. Yeah. Mm. Right? They're, they're, they're using that veil to not have to look at their own um, inconsistent human, um, uh, their, their own inconsistencies of, of humanity and how they look at people. Yeah. And so if you think about it, like, I, I think I think if racist people or mainstream America, frankly, mm-hmm. ever came to terms with the history, just the history, just the facts of how it's treated black people and people of color in, in particular, but, but black people in particular, then they would have to co- they would have to come to a reckoning of who they are. Yeah, they would have. They have to be like, okay, well, who does that make me? Shit. Yeah. I, but, see the thing, Makai. I feel like we have a big dissonance amongst our fellow man right now, and I know you've brought this up in a conversation I've witnessed before. Um, I think with Corey Allen, um, where we have this need for empathy in order for us to get all on the same page of of collectively wanting unity which is a lot of what you're speaking about here right which is obvious it seems obvious that's what the direction we should all want to go this is going to be great for all of us it sounds amazing then we have this piece of us like you spoke to toxic masculinity we have this piece of us that says well don't feel your feelings because that's what our culture says it's you know not good to do it's just it's not productive it's not uh, Mm -hmm. glorifying busy the way we all do if we start stop and start feeling our feelings Mm -hmm. so we have this big divide that is created in in mainstream america because we are not allowing um that part of our character we have suppressed the part of us the feminine part of us you know you could name it that way if you wanted that says hey take a look at how you're treating your fellow man and feel it as if it was you because it is you Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean that's perfectly put. Like I think another way to say that is like, to, to your point, I should say, the feminine. Um, I don't believe in divine feminine, divine masculine. I believe that that's that's um, our own gender bias. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The words are yeah, and the binary yeah, thing is tough. All of it's tough. it's weird, right? Like it's like it's like it's like uh, we have to do, we have to structure divinity into has to be polarizing again. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I, I think what happened was, I think the reason we do that is because we discredited things that women were excelling in uh, after the Reformation, mm-hmm. right? about 500 years ago. We said intuition, bullshit. Um, nurturing, bullshit. Compassion, bullshit. Things that women leadership right. were excelling mm-hmm. in throughout history, we, we, uh, we minimized and yeah. we, we, we diminished the value of it. And so we don't look at our feelings, right? We don't. We, we're not intuitive. We're not. We're not compassionate. Uh, we don't see another human being 
uh, when someone says enough is enough or my life matters, we go, well, let's argue about the subtle nuances of the words that you used. Yeah. Right? Rather than going, wow, oh, there's a human being in front of me right. yelling, yelling that his life or her life matters. And, right. Yeah. Well, how did we get there? So instead of even having that conversation, it's, it's more about intellect and logic yeah. and rationality, which is, which is what the Reformation, the, the pulse of consciousness, the Reformation created, mm-hmm. right? And started to value as, as, this, as the metric of... of, uh, of um, Macho is, I mean, it's, a, it's like enoughness. It's like, okay, well, that's the level you have. Yeah, that's a standard. A human value, mm-hmm. a human value, right? And, like, and, and so we didn't value a lot of the things that, 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 that the feminine nature had pursued. Mm-hmm. And we devalued those things so that they, they wouldn't have a place in society. But I, I, I strongly believe COVID is, is trying to balance that out. Right? Like, I strongly believe Mother Earth wants that to balance out. She wants more intuition. She's she a mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 She, and she wants, she wants intuition to be valued like intellect. Mm-hmm. As it should be. Absolutely should be. 100%. It is. It's balancing. I mean, it's intellect's balancing other. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's necessary to have both. Uh, yeah. There, there's, I mean, we could dive so much deeper into that. And what else came up for me while we were discussing um, how to help people understand uh the plight here and i don't even know if that's the right word but the way that you know uh, mainstream america is trying to to process this and i know that process is a also a tricky word because it asks for more patience and more burdening of the same people that are already the ones taking on the burden of this whole thing for their entire lives and generations generations before um but one way to maybe further illustrate it that came to mind so i'm just going to say it is when we think about um the Amazonian rainforest, for instance, and we think about the farmers there that are uh, selling their land to turn it into cattle farms for American meat, you know, or European meat to be farmed on and this type of thing. And the world looks at that, it, the, the people who are in environmental, you know, trying to protect the environment, trying to protect what we call the Amazon, we call the Amazon, the, the lungs of the world. So worried about how many football fields worth of jungle is being destroyed and how much, how much oxygen we're not going to have uh, because of that and going, you know, how can these farmers be selling off their land? And the farmers in the Amazon are going, I can barely feed my fucking kids tonight. I'm living in a fight or flight state. I am living from a, this more primal mind because I have to, I have no other choice. I was not born with the privilege to be in a place, you know, in America and sit back and look at, at the Amazon and go, well, you're doing it wrong. And look at the farmer in the Amazon and say, well, you're doing it wrong. It's like, how, I mean, and then we judge that. And that's where we, we grow that dissonance of like Mm -hmm. using the logic and the intellect, like you're saying, but not using the empathy and the intuition of like, what is this farmer actually experiencing? And I'm just bringing that up because for me, it, illustrating this from a different point sometimes helps it helps me no, get get to the end of it perfect analogy perfect analogy it's it's it is speaking from a position of of expertise when you know nothing about the subject. right, right. Mm-hmm. and and you haven't taken the time to be compassionate or or um 
empathetic about someone's situation. And once you, once you, once you take a look at what they're going through or take a look at what, what or actually even like listen to their concerns. Yeah. Really um, listen. Listening is something we're not good at in this culture at all. Like actually what that is. No, we have to rediscover, <laughs> we have to rediscover the art of listening. And yeah. I think that, I think, I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. Um, I hope I so. Think, I think I've, I've, I've seen examples of people listening more intently in the last two to three months than I've ever seen. Mm. I, yeah, I agree. Ever mm-hmm. in my life. But their world had to get a little quieter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had to be stuck inside, mm-hmm. not be able yeah. to go to the movies or music shows. So yeah. no distraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I and, once, and once again, uh, to touch on that, on that COVID compassion um, soundbite is uh, the ancient brain was massaged for the first time right. in thousands of years. And mm. at least, at least for at least for Western culture, and it was like, wait a second, what's important is survival. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's weird. Like, wait, yeah. hold on. Yeah, we have been cruising and coasting for a long time, and all of a sudden we're like, wait, we're not safe. This is chaos. The world is chaos. It always yeah. has been. It always will be, and we have to mm-hmm. be able to hold it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think I don't think that, and I think you're right. Except for I don't think I don't think it always has to be. Mm. I saw, I, I saw, so there's a, there's a, there's a Sanskrit phrase called Sat Chit Pananda, right? Mm. And Sanskrit's a prayer. So you say, in, in, when you pray, you say things in the order in which they should be accomplished. Mm. So Sat means uh, existence. Chit is consciousness. And Ananda is bliss. And so the more I study Sanskrit, I'm realizing there's a, there's a reason that they said it in that order. Mm-hmm. So we're in a state of existence. Mm-hmm. And we have existence. It's a hell of an existence. We, we, we make it hard to experience that existence <laughs> because we, we add difficulty and weight mm-hmm. to that existence. So I think we're, we're leaving the state of existence into the state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, being, we're leaving the state of existential beings and becoming conscious beings. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to start expressing ourselves as conscious beings. And the more people like you and I have, uh, the three of us have this conversation, uh, the more people that uh, your listeners go out and talk to, I think that we're going to be stepping out of the state of existence because what is existence? It's existing. It's just not dying. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's, it's coasting, like you said. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But what's the state of consciousness? That's, I, I think that's the state enriching. of... Say that again. It's enriching the existence. Enriching, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think yeah. the, to speak to your point about the suffering that comes with existence the suffering to me is the way we alchemize getting to consciousness you know or that's how it's been experienced in my life is like and now I can even recognize like why I'm in this deep suffering I'm like all right girl let's go all the way in because I know I know now that at the other side of it if I don't resist it as much I have more grace and ease getting through it but I still suffer and I still have to suffer it feels like to get to the yeah. other side um, and, and the same, then you grow it's the same thing it's the same thing with the sociological body consciousness right it's the same mm-hmm. thing with the collective consciousness yeah like the, like the collective consciousness wants to heal from the last 500 years of hatred and bigotry and vitriol it wants to heal from that it had a traumatic intervention <laughs> yeah. that was called the industrialization of commerce or the, or the transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. That wasn't good for the collective consciousness. That was right. horrible for it. That was, a, that was a really damaging time for it. And I like to think it's part of its adolescence, right? 
like to think that human beings are going to be here for a very, very long time. But that's yeah. up to us. Right. That's up to us. And so I think that we're getting to a place where in the adulthood of our collective consciousness, like this, this, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to step, step out of the state of being existential beings into the state of uh, conscious beings. And then that, that will lead us, you know, I think a few centuries from now, maybe a millennia from now, into blissful beings. And like, that's, that's what we have to do. For not just for our children, but for, I don't know how people can't look at their descendants and, and just feel an overwhelming sense of love for them. Right? The people who are going to be here 400 years from now. Hmm. They're only here because you, we did this right. Right. Because you know mm-hmm. I mean? if we don't do this right, there's not going to be any left. You're talking, though, from a place of uh, an amount of consciousness that ever even has a glimpse of seeing what our descendants might look like ever seeing that there is a possibility for that. I think many people, I think the majority of us are living from a much more finite future, you know, within our lifespan really. And you're also talking, I know just from listening to other talks, yours, not really from a place of linear time. (laughs) You're talking from a different place, which is, you know, something I do think the paradigm shift you're talking about of consciousness and coming to or back to a more collective uh, state of consciousness, I think is when we sit with the truth, you know, when we really dig down deep and decide who we are and what we are, and we get to the bottom of the existential questions, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's not even, of course, ever answering the existential question, but getting to the best question we can make, right? Yeah. Um, when we get there, we then feel the kind of epiphany that you're talking about of like, oh, shit, like, uh, my existence is critical for all generations to come. It's critical for all the generations that were before me because it was their hope that I would be where I am and, and transforming and transmuting and becoming this other thing. So holding all that is the bliss, you know, that you're talking about. How do we get people to have that moment of momentary bliss? Because you only need a couple moments, you know, in your lifetime really to hold on to and inspire you to do your life's purpose, your life's mission and serve others outside of psychedelics <laughs> yeah outside. i mean we could talk about that too but not everybody's willing show. to do yeah. that yeah yeah and, and, and I, I understand and i yeah like i mean i'm i'm, I'm a both schools of thought like i think that psychedelics are a cheat code right and mm. uh, and i love cheat codes great <laughs> I, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm all for the cheat codes however not everybody's going to play play the game with cheat codes right yeah mm-hmm. so people who aren't playing the game with cheat codes i think that they have to rediscover the art of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Presence. When, yeah, when you, yes, presence. And when you sit in silence, you connect to the center of your center. It doesn't matter what you thought five minutes ago. It doesn't matter what you thought about your life. It doesn't matter what ideas and, 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 and games and veils that you have been engaged in or that you're seeing through. Mm-hmm. There's just this presence of gravity and love and structure that's at the center of your center. It's 14.5 billion years of divine evolution running through the center of your center. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know what's moral. Mm-hmm. You know what feels right. Right, that is the truth at the you end. You know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's this very, very simple truth that 
the foundation. So I, I truly believe that when we decided to come back into these bodies and um, cultivate this planet, mm-hmm. we agreed that it would be founded in love. The foundation had to be love. And the farther we get away from that love, the more conflict we have. The more we fight ourselves, the more we don't know who we are, the more we have bad people in our lives, the more we um, attract the wrong people in relationships, the more we physically fight each other, the more we oppress each other, the more we go to war with each other. It happens on a, on a macro scale, on a micro scale. So like, I, I think that just centering yourself and finding that universal gravitational system of love. So I, I believe gravity mm-hmm. and love are the same thing. Like mm-hmm. what else attracts something throughout the universe and holds it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is this metaphysical sort of um, multidimensional power that's able to pull something and hold it? What's that called in your normal life? When you pull something to you and yeah. you just, it's just there. It's you're attracted to it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's attracted to you. That's love. Yeah. So the, the force of gravity to me is love. It's what holds the universe together. And so once you once you really get in touch with the center of your center, and that's that is the gra- that is a thin piece of gravity that is running mm-hmm. through the body. You feel the love from the universe stabilizing you, stabilizing you on the planet, stabilizing you in on this ball throughout space mm-hmm. and time. And there's a lot of um, the more you sit in silence, the more you sit in presence. There's so much information that comes back to you that we um, intuition. Um, yeah. Empathy, all these things that we've we've overlooked, and it's just the simplest answer. Is just a, that the three of us on this call are just different expressions of the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who we are. And if you want to fight about that, we can. But why the fuck would we waste yeah. our time? Why would we do that? Why don't we? Why don't we figure <laughs> out? Why don't we try? Why don't we try to use that same energy to figure out why the three of us are so different from the same expression? We figure that out. We're going to colonize Mars in four years. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you telling me that I have to explain to my grandson, 15th century Portuguese politics, to explain to him why he's not welcome on two planets? Right. Mm-hmm. That has to stop. You got to stop that. Yeah. What words do you have for those who, who they, they do feel all this in their right. center and they know that this is a humanitarian crisis, but they're so scared to say something wrong or they don't feel like they have anything good enough to say mm-hmm to enlighten anybody on it, that they're just staying silent. I w- then I would say that they don't understand that it's a humanitarian crisis. Hmm. That's good. You, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't know that something's a humanitarian crisis and then stay silent. Or you can, but then that makes you a certain type of person with a certain type of consciousness. If you know, if you know that this is a humanitarian crisis and you go, well, I don't want to piss off some of my racist friends, or I, I don't want to piss off, or I don't want to say the wrong thing. Well, you can't say the wrong thing. Hmm. It's all fucked up. Right, I think that's <laughs> the focus is, it is messy. Yeah, like this is messy. It's not going so, to be perfect. Choose yeah. 
progress over perfection. Like every time, mm. just say that mantra over and over to yourself. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm writing that down. I, I did. <laughs> so I'm starting. I'm starting a podcast, and oh, I, yeah. Um, yeah, I love. I love for you guys to do it. I, um, awesome. I, I, my first guest um, is the lady. Is her name is Joyce Ross. Mm-hmm. She is the Auschwitz survivor who mm-hmm. showed up to the BLM protests in outside of Chicago. Cool. Wow. And I asked her. I said, you know, why did you why did you show up to the BLM protests? You're 97 mm-hmm. years old. Right, like I hope I'm out. Like moving, <laughs> right? like wow, where to go, Miss Joyce? Where yeah, and I, and I and I asked her. And I said, "Why did you? Why did you? What what compelled you to, to get up yeah. out of your living room and go?" And she said, "Well, when I saw that knee on Mr. Floyd's neck, I knew that they were back. Mm. That's what they did to us." Mm. And I said, "Wow!" And and the meet and we had a 35 minute conversation, and then towards the end of the conversation, I. I asked the question, I said, do you think, and this is all going to be the podcast, I go, do you think that if the good Polish people, she's Polish, good Polish people and the good German people, if they had taken a stand, they had done something, said something, she goes, it never would have happened. Mm. She goes, people mm. just kind of went on with their lives, not really knowing what to do. She's mm-hmm. like, and that's what, that's what scares me now. Yeah. She goes, this can never happen again. And it's, it wasn't me making the comparison. I saw her at the BLM rally and I started crying because I, I had made the comparisons in my own head, but like in this country, you're not really allowed to do that publicly, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. so, like, I think we have, I think all ethnicities have trouble communicating an atrocity that's specifically happening to them across ethnic lines, mm-hmm. right? We have trouble communicating things that specifically happen to, to, to ethnic groups across ethnic lines, period. Mm-hmm. But in particular, things that aren't happening to other people. Right. Right. It's very hard to describe that and how bad that is to other people. And, you know, Native American people have the word genocide. And um, Armenian, Ar- Armenian brothers and sisters have the word genocide and our, our, our Jewish brothers and sisters have a couple words, Holocaust and anti-Semitism. You know, there's, there's, when your atrocity is that bad, right? you have a word. It's labeled. I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think, I think the problem that Black America has is that we don't have a word yet. Mm. But it's time for the global community to acknowledge that we deserve the word. Yeah. We deserve the word. That's how bad it. That's how bad it's been. Because it acknowledges it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how, and it protects you. Mm-hmm. It protects you from it. Like so, it's it's a flag. Sorry, it's a, it's a, it's a sword. It's a shield and it's a flag, right? It's a sword that you can use against somebody and go. You're a racial oppression denier. So I don't have to fucking listen to you. What else do you What else do you deny throughout history? Mm-hmm. You have a word that you want to use for it. There's, there's a word that came out of a think tank mm-hmm. about a month ago called Nenek. Mm-hmm. A Nenek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone who, someone who Nenek. So it's, it's the, Very it's visual. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it, it makes, it makes total and sense. And it's not it's actually something. new. And there's something really 
disgusting and vile and right. sick about the, the infatuation that white supremacy has with black men. Mm. Right? There's something there's something there, like cutting off the breath, cutting off the, mm. the, 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 the mm. oxygen, cutting off the voice, cutting off the blood to the brain. There's right. something there's something there about that. And the, the knee necking actually comes from the Roman Empire. It's like mm. the, the Roman legionnaires would, would kneel on the slaves' necks. Mm-hmm. And it was it happened again in Viking culture. It happened again in English culture, and it's happened it happened again in Nazi culture. It's mm-hmm. happening again now, and it, it it really is time to for the world to acknowledge that we need a word. So when you tell me or you or you ask me, am I afraid that this will be um, this movement will fizzle out? Mm-hmm. No, I'm afraid of other things. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of where this crippling oppression will lead in 10 years. Mm. You know, there's, I've done the math, there's, you got four or five options and only two of those are peaceful. Mm-hmm. And one of those is making sure that another one doesn't happen. Right. And that's and why that, this won't fizzle out because and yeah, on, their options are no good for nobody. Right. And on um, that, Oh. You know, we spoke on on those who are being silent. Mm-hmm. Those who do want to be a hero in this story, what are their action steps? Well, one is is becoming part of your human community. Mm-hmm. Seeing seeing the person who doesn't look like you, who has a different experience than you. So here's the thing: if you don't believe people who are out in the street crying, laying on the ground, saying "I can't breathe," mm-hmm. saying "Enough is enough." yelling from the top of their lungs, if you can't hear their ancestors screaming through their skin, you can't hear their voices. Well, racial oppression deniers never do, do they? Mm. People who want to protect oppression never hear the voices of the oppressed, do they? No. Throughout history. So you have how to do ask we, yourself. You how do we bring them who, around? You have to ask yourself who you are. Mm-hmm. are there's, there's, there's one race, there's two tribes. There's people who want to who want to end oppression, mm-hmm. and there's people who want to protect it. Mm. If you don't believe that oppression is happening, you are protecting it. Right. The conversation's over. Discussion's over. We're not going to discuss whether it's happening or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that's a that's a ploy. That's a tactic. Of, that's a that's a tactic of psychological warfare that's been used throughout time to diminish the voice of the person being oppressed. And it's really like a logical fallacy. It's just, it's looping. It's not, we're not getting it's anywhere there. It's mm-hmm. gaslighting. It's gaslighting. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, okay, so let's, let's, just, let's just break it down in the most simple way possible. George Floyd was publicly executed in his own neighborhood. He was not murdered. He was pulled from the car, put in front of the vehicle, and kneeled on by four guys, four big men. And one had his knee on his neck and we saw the whole thing, we don't have to get into it. Mm-hmm. But broad daylight, over no- wasn't resisting arrest, nothing. Broad daylight, almost so nonchalantly that it looked like the murderer felt like, the executioner felt like, well, you got to put these animals out of their misery, hmm. right? Dehumanizing a person in such a way where I can publicly execute them hmm. with a smile on my face, my hand in my pocket, and dig my neck into, and dig my knee into his neck. Hmm. 
And then the country has a conversation about if that matters. Hmm. That is where we are. So when you see that happening, and more so, more distressing, when you see the conversation, the debate that happens after that, if that matters, we're in a new place. So that is my question. What, what, so all that you've just explained, Mm -hmm. that is where we are, as you said, and it's maddening, of course, in a lot of ways, but that is where we are as a collective. So how do we at this point be, and especially people of color, how do people of color continue to have patience in the midst of watching non-black people uh, come around, you know, like still waiting for that to happen. Like a burden they've already had for generations. It's like, okay, well, great. We're having the conversation now, but it's like, why are we even having, you know, it's frustrating. Like, why are we even having that part of the conversation that we already know is completely spelled out and we should be moving on to the part of how we resolve this thing, but we're still stuck here. And it's like, how much patience do we give Mm -hmm. to this? And so well, that is the question. How do we, how do we do that? <laughs> well, I think there's two parts to that. And so yeah. obviously black people and people of color obviously are not a monolithic group. I can't speak to all of them, but I can say this. I'm a millionaire and I'm, and my patience is running thin. Mm-hmm. The average black family makes $17,000 a year. Mm. Where do you think their patience is? It's gone. Non-existent. It's gone. So white supremacists have unleashed their psychopaths on black people for over 400 years. And most of white America, and most of America, period, no matter what color you are, has pretty much ignored that. Um, large, 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 in large part, not, not, not completely, but in large part. And the black world has never hit back. We've, we've had patience, we've had compassion, we've had um, forgiveness, transcendent compassion, transcendent forgiveness. Tra- it's been transcendent. We've, we've had these dumb conversations time in and time again for decades, for centuries. We've been saying this is a humanitarian crisis for mm-hmm. over a century. We've been saying that. Yeah, without no a choice. One, mm-hmm. And no one listens because our voices are so muted. So how do we have more patience? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how somebody could have What's more patience. What's the other option? Yeah. I know, yeah. The other option is, the, the other options are, are, are trying something different. And like, you know, I mean, you have... You have peaceful versions of that, which look like refugee status, mm. you know, which is very embarrassing in the United States, but it, it is what it is. Like you have to, you have to do what's best for your family. Mm. And I, I know that th- those talks are already starting, you know, sadly, those, those talks have already started with, um, I won't say what countries because I'm not allowed to yet, but I, 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 I know that those talks have already started in, in, in some, some places. And it's it's more about how many can they let in, and but like in, in about two weeks, you guys might hear about this. It might mm-hmm. be international news that 
that there are some countries that are willing to offer a refugee status to Black Americans, which wow. is, that's where we're at. That's where wow. we're at. Um, and there's another one where, you know, there's a school of thought where Black people and anti-racists, no matter what color you are, are just saying, let's boycott the economy, let's boycott anybody who's not actively and staunchly anti-racist because we don't know if our money's gonna be going to white supremacy. Mm. We don't actually know. <laughs> so there's people creating infrastructures to aid that cause. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the patience is, I don't think there's, I don't think there is anymore. Like, I, I, like yeah. I, I have transcendent patience, my family has transcendent patience, but my mom's at the point now where she wants to leave America. Right. Mm. You know? Um, I have a, I have family members, listen, look, my family, my great-grandfather was killed by the NYPD. Sorry, mm -hmm. let, me, let me start at the beginning. My great-grandmother was a refugee from Florida and Georgia to New York, a refugee in her own country because she was tired of being raped and having um, her house burned down in the South. And she came from a Native American reservation. So she hitchhiked and walked to Harlem in 1915. Wow. She got there, she married a man, half Irish, half black man, who was eventually killed by the police, leaving her with seven children. Wow. And two of her children were killed by the police. And then another one of her ch children was killed by a white mob. And her sister had her fetus cut from her body at a party as oh an entertainment. So when you talk about patience, we've had it. We've had patience. We, 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 we were chandeliers at parties where they would hang us at parties and stick candles inside of us. If we were sick. They would, they, <laughs> I mean, when you find out the history of what America has done and allowed, allowed to happen to, to my family, Mm -hmm. And to to people who look like me, it's almost like you're astounded by the patience. You're astounded by the forgiveness. Yeah. It almost looks like we look weak, right? Hmm. But it's 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 that we knew that there have been so many massacres. There's been so many massacres that just people don't talk about. There was 300 people killed in one day in Tulsa, 1921. There was uh, there was a thousand black people killed in the summer of 1919. 32, 32 white terrorist attacks. There was over 100 people killed in one day in Rosewood. And every single time that we've had black communities that have done well and self-aggrandized, mm -hmm. white supremacists have bombed them, literally bombed them. Sometimes from the air, in airplanes. 1921, they used airplanes to bomb Tulsa because they didn't like the fact that there was well-to-do black people there. Mm. This is real. This has happened to us time in and time out. And so when you ask the question about patience, I don't have an answer for you, but I, I, can, tell you on the, I can tell you on the other side, what white, what, what white people who, who, who want to help can do mm -hmm. is listen. Mm -hmm. Believe us. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so frustrating about people posting that Blacks, Black Lives Matter is a leftist lie, because there's, there's history to prove that it's not a leftist lie. So it's so mind boggling that that's even a popular thought right now. Well, it's, 
once again, what it does is, is, is it allows, it, 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 it relinquishes them of any responsibility mm-hmm. of having to look at their own racial bias. It's, it's the easy way out, right? It's the easy way out of saying, here's the thing, the, the multidimensional experience of being black in America is that you love your country. Somehow you still love this country. Right. But you also fucking hate it. Like, for what it's done to you, what it continues to do to you, how it treats you, how it doesn't believe you, how, how it's, how it, I think history, history will, will refer to this as a well-structured genocide. Mm. A, slow move, a slow moving genocide. I think history, history will refer to this as that. Once you start to put the numbers together, you can't say, well, it's not that because, you know, it's been 400 years and that's just what it is. And like, but add the numbers up. Tell the families that. Tell, tell the families that lost um, uh, the, the, the breadwinner of their, tell my family that. They lost the breadwinner in the 1930s because he got arrested for driving and then they killed him. Mm-hmm. So you have, to, you have to start thinking about like how the, the, the abusive relationship America has had with black people. And that has to be repaired. I think the people who are saying, oh, this is a leftist lie and this and this and that just don't want to admit mm-hmm. that there needs to be repair. This has to be repaired. So you can't move forward as a country unless you repair the past. Right. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing. It's one and the same. You, like, not, a no lot of people are using statistics to support their racially biased view, but you also think about who's making those statistics, you know, well, as well. Yeah. The thing about statistics is this, like, for whatever, whatever statistic you can find, I can I find know. one in the case yeah. that And right? also, you may, you may use those statistics, but, like, it's, it's also the culture you brought them up in. It's what was forced upon, you know, these communities. Yeah, yeah. So, so when people show me these statistics, I go, I go, yes, yes, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, what you just brought up, that's the problem. But the, it's the consciousness thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody looks at the statistic and they go, well, look at the statistic. This is horrible, you know? And they go, it's the people's fault who were, who were engulfed in the statistic. I go, no, no. How did we get there? Yeah, it's like a, a baby. It's like a baby that only knows how to crawl and they have four toys in the room and they crawl to the one that's closest. It's like, that's, that's what we've done to these communities. We put them in crime-ridden communities. We keep them poor. And it's then, a sociological factor, like when you when you when you when you have underserviced communities, crime mm-hmm. goes up. When you have desperation, right. crime goes up. Theory that, that's that's social like mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's so. I think it's really interesting that it's hard to it's hard for America sometimes to um, <laughs> how do I put this? It's hard for America sometimes to attribute human behavior to black people. Like, mm-hmm. you throw people in a situation where they can't get out, you redline them so they can't get out of the hood. They're stuck in a, in a situation where they're severely oppressed and suppressed and their voices are muted. And then so what happens? They feel desperate. Right, right. And like, so crime goes up. Uh, quality of life goes down. Um, you know, life expectancy goes down. These are sociological factors. 
These are human factors. Products that of the surrounding, yeah. Right. This happens to every group of people that you put into that situation. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's almost as if it, it's just it's such a racist trope to 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 use numbers and statistics without looking at the historical factors mm-hmm. that got you to those mm-hmm. statistics. Mm-hmm. And it's a level of consciousness. It's like you're looking at the same chart and graph, and you're saying it's the people, it's their fault. But you're acting as if that life wasn't that. That's kind of what, what Candace Owen was saying too, which yeah. makes it also fuels people's racial bias and agenda because they're able to say, "Well, she's a person of color." You right, know? But, but that, that is but the, the people who the, the, the <laughs> I love this question. The people who use Candace Owens as their as their response mm-hmm. are ignoring the other forty million voices. Right. Yeah. Just because Again, she it's has like the same thing. You're and if you're going to listen to Candace Owens uh, and say, like, maybe she's educated and you're educating yourself, then you've also got to read books like White Fragility. Like, you can't just educate yourself on that side and then choose to not hear the other side. The other. Right. And, well, I mean, here's the thing. Let's be honest about Candace Owens. That's not even a side. She's making shit up. She's, uh, half of the numbers that she's talking about are made up. They're just made up. She just made them up. Like she can't, like I've, I had a friend who interviewed the other day asking her where she got her numbers from. She couldn't say it. So it's like, she's just making shit up. And that's what most people are doing when they're talking about statistics. Once again, when you're talking about statistics, who paid for the research? Right. It's, who does it benefit? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and whatever statistic you can find, I can likely find another statistic that's so particular that it, it, can, it can negate your statistic. Mm-hmm. The question I ask people is this, when you show me a chart and graph, why do you blame the people that are affected by the chart and graph rather than all the historical factors that led up to that chart and graph being true? Mm-hmm. Even, even if it's, let's say it's true, let's say those horrible numbers are true. Some of them are and some of them not. What led up to the historic, what are the historical factors that led up to that chart and graph being an issue? And like, if you if you can't if you're looking at a chart and graph in a vacuum, okay, yeah, you don't cherry picking, and you don't have a point, right? There's all kinds of holes in that logic, and it and I don't even like using the word logic because again, it needs to be balanced with the the intuition and consciousness. So I just history. Well, I want to explore what all we're, we've discussed really thus far about how we go about helping people get to a place on their journey and coming back to the patient's piece of being patient enough with someone who isn't, you know, very far maybe on this journey and who has got a lot of road to cover ahead of them. Um, how do we set the stage for that to happen better? How have you, since you've yeah. been now having a lot of conversations about this in recent time, especially uh, publicly, how have you gone about inviting the public who's willing to actually listen um, to come along instead of creating more of that dissonance that happens whenever yeah. we, you know, and, and doing the good now. guy, bad guy. Yeah. Like my stepbrother does not believe in privilege. And if I get angry at him and just, you know, make him the bad guy because he doesn't see he's what's really happening, mm-hmm. he's not, what, what change is that going to happen or cause? Well, I mean, I, I think one of the things that, um, so the question is more, mostly about how do, we, how do we get people who are 
I really want to know from you, from a personal, on a personal level, how have, how have you noticed yourself evolving in the way that you're able to, uh, like we started this conversation out with, invite people to come to this realization maybe on not their own? dehumanizing the people who aren't realizing it, you know? Right. Well, that's part of the process probably. But yeah, yeah what I, has I, been your experience in that, that part of the journey of like getting people to come over with their own growth and consciousness as opposed to using force to, you know, push people or sh- and then they dig deeper into their boots of, of bias. This is the end of part one. Tune in next week for part two. We'll see you there. It's the magic hour, Mercedes and Jay.